Hello, beautiful, lovely people of the world. Thank you so much for tuning in to Womb Witch Moon Cycles, the podcast with your host, Michaela Sinkfield. You'll notice that about the first 10 minutes or so of the episode are my feelings, perspective, and really just a little rant about the recent overturn of Roe versus Wade. If you would like to skip over that and get straight to the episode, you can skip to about 10 minutes and 25 seconds. This episode is all about birth control of all varieties and how effective these methods are at preventing pregnancy. I also go into some of the possible side effects, benefits, efficacy percentage rates, and a little about my journey with the pill and most recently with fertility awareness. I hope this episode offers clarity, reverence, a better understanding of all options available, and an open mind for further self-research on which option may be right for your unique body. Let's jump in. Well, I do believe my last podcast episode aged quite well, don't you think? Since that episode was released, the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade and left the majority of the population of women in the U.S. dumbfounded and sick to our fucking stomachs. If you haven't been paying attention, or you don't feel like this affects you, the overturn of Roe v. Wade is not just for abortions. This affects our right to privacy in our procreating and familial lives. This may affect the laws on same-sex marriage. I've heard talk of getting rid of contraceptive methods and our period tracking apps selling our data. So check the privacy policy of any app that you use for that. Do your own research. I'm not here to quote or provide misinformation. I'm simply shedding light on recent events and possibilities to come from this decision. However, the government nor the state has any business, no say, and no right to my body and whether or not I choose to have a child, period. That is not an opinion. This is a fundamental human right to choose whether or not to create and or grow a family. Anyone who knows me knows that I've been on the fence about having children for quite some time. In my opinion, The society we live in is too volatile, filled with greed, chaos, and blind obedience, is consistently getting worse, and is simply not suitable for impressionable, innocent, pure, and divine beings such as children. Children are beautiful blessings and bring so much to the lives they intertwine with, but they are not for everyone at every stage of life, and they do not deserve to be subjected to some of the chaos and fuckery that we endure on this planet. We are forcing women to give birth in a society that is filled with hate, greed, and power. 
forcing women to give birth in a society where our children are dying in mass shootings in their schools. Forcing women to give birth in a society that cannot even keep formula on the shelves for the babies that are already here to eat. And that same society subsequently blames the mothers for not being able to breastfeed in a society that keeps our bodies so depleted and malnourished from all the chemicals, pesticides, and fad diets being thrown at us at every turn. And in that same breath, they rip our babies away from us directly after birth and have us believing that our bodies are broken or incapable of feeding our babies. When in all actuality, we should have constant skin to skin from the time baby is born and begin breastfeeding within the first three hours after birth for best results. But no one tells us that or even allows us to try before forcing formula down our crying baby's throats to add on to the already skewed image we have of ourselves after birth because of our fucked up society and the belief that women are objects until it's time for them to be mothers. Which, let's face it, the society does not support mothers or children because it's never been about the babies. It's about control over women's bodies. The society that we have allowed to rule over every aspect of our lives does not care about the well-being of the children that are already here, nor the ones being gestated in the society of forced birth, and it definitely doesn't give two fucks about their mothers. Which is why we have so many mothers and babies because the way you were birthed into this world affects you just as much throughout your life. Enduring birth trauma from hospitals, inductions, interventions, and C-sections, which then leads to postpartum depression and anxiety in the mother because she was not safe in the most powerful and vulnerable time of her life which in turn affects the way that she mothers and nurtures those children throughout their lives. If we cannot offer safety and love and compassion to the children who are already on the planet and to the mothers gestating and birthing the children, how do we expect women who do not want babies right now or ever to treat the unwanted babies they are being forced to carry give their bodies away to birth and raise? How do we expect them to operate from a place of love, nurturing, and compassion? Traumatized mothers create and raise traumatized children, which creates an entire generation of traumatized people who are easily manipulated, obedient, and controlled. We pass down so much to our babies while they're in the womb and the circumstances right now in the U.S. are not suitable for pregnancy and birth and mothering in my opinion. And the children growing inside of their mothers are feeling and being imprinted with the fear, stress, and trauma that the mothers are currently enduring. How can a woman be expected to change everything about her life her body, and her mental and physical well-being 
for the sake of birthing a child that will no doubt be abandoned by society regardless of the way it was conceived. Whether that be with love or through violence. I've seen so many arguments about what if she was raped? What about incest? What about child molestation? While yes, these are all valid reasons to want or need abortions and should have been considered when making the decision because of how often these scenarios actually take place. The fact that a woman has decided she is not ready to have a child for whatever reason is the choice and decision of that woman and that woman alone. Note, this is not judging, shaming, or otherwise condemning any woman who has had or experienced any of this during their own birth or motherhood experience. I am certifying and becoming a birth and postpartum doula, and the research is what I'm referring to. On that note, this episode will be diving into the fertility awareness method and other options of hormonal and non-hormonal birth control so that you can make an informed decision on the best avenue of preventing or achieving pregnancy and learning your body's fertile signs for your own personal health record while we're still able to make that decision for ourselves. If you've stuck around this long, I am so grateful and honored that you're here in this space. I am very passionate about the right to choose what is best for ourselves with informed consent. I'm grateful to be sharing this information with you, and I hope this brings some awareness and insight for everyone listening. Every single person on this planet, every single one, deserves the right to their own body and the right to choose what's best for them and to be provided with all options and all information, including side effects, long-term effects, benefits, and downsides to every option. Thank you for tuning in to Womb Witch Moon Cycles, the podcast. Enjoy the episode. Today, we're just going to go for it. So I want to start off by saying that I've spent the last two and a half years studying, researching, reading, and throwing myself into the work of learning about the menstrual cycle and its importance in our lives. I have always had a, I would say, different relationship with my period, but I tucked that interest away not too long after my menarche, which if you don't know what menarche is, it's your very first period. I tucked my interest of my period away after Menarche due to societal pressure and the woes and pain competitions surrounding periods that were happening through the women around me. I found myself on birth control at only 15 and stayed on it until I was 20 after only having had my bleed for maybe... I like a year. I think I started when I was like close to 14 if I didn't start when I was 14. Because it appeared that I was having two periods every month. Like I would have a period 
And then it would be like two weeks later and hello, hello, there's more blood. And I was just so confused and it was terrifying. But I now know this to be ovulatory spotting. Thanks to Katie Singer's book, Honoring Our Cycles. And that ovulatory spotting has recently shown back up for me after six years of not being on the pill with the last two cycles that I've had. So the last two cycles that I had around the time that I was ovulating, I would begin spotting and I knew that it was around the time I was ovulating because I chart my cycle with fertility awareness. So that's been really cool to have that confirmation and just to know that there wasn't anything wrong with me, that I just was having something that was not able to be explained to me at that time. But reading it in Katie Singer's book, Honoring Our Cycles, reading the information of ovulatory spotting literally gave me chills down my whole body. I knew that's what it was for me. And then experiencing it these last two cycles was all the confirmation that I needed. And such a beautiful and magical like circle back around moment for me. So I love that I have that information for myself now. The last uh, menstrual bleed that I had at the beginning of my current cycle was my last bleed of 25 because I turned 26 on July 2nd. Cycle day one of the previous cycle was on May 15th and we had the full lunar total blood moon eclipse in Scorpio that night. So I had a beautiful, marvelous time dancing under the moon with my dogs. I danced and sang and allowed my blood to flow freely onto myself and the ground beneath me. The entire five days that I bled that cycle were honored and filled with space for myself to be naked and connect deeply with my blood. I'm sharing this because that is the most aligned that I have felt with myself since I began this journey two and a half years ago. That entire cycle, I felt so aligned with my body. I felt so inside of my body rather than inside of my head. And the intentions that I set for that cycle bloomed magically and beautifully as the end of that cycle unfolded and the cycle that I am enduring now began. This cycle, I do not feel connected to my body nor to my blood in the same way, which I accept and honor as sacred and not something to be overwhelmingly uncomfortable with. I just had my solar return, which was my birthday. It's another trip around the sun. And my lunar return is happening in a week or so, which is basically the the time of the year where the sun is in the same sign that it was when you were born and the moon is also in the same sign that it was when you were born. So for me, I'm a Cancer sun and I'm an Aquarius moon. So when the moon is in Aquarius under this Cancer sun, I will be having my lunar return. And I'm feeling very reflective and trying to figure out how to fill this new chapter of myself. 
how to move into this version of myself that I've been striving so hard for, but now I feel so uncomfortable in. I share this with you because I want you to know that it's okay to feel however you feel about your body. It's okay to be disconnected and discombobulated inside of your body. It's okay to feel into the discomfort of this new version you want so badly to move into. And maybe I'm just talking to myself here, but it's okay to be unsure and a little off balance. Feel into this discomfort and listen to what your body is trying to communicate with you. Odds are, it's got some amazing information that would be so beneficial to where you want to be while you feel stuck in who you are. We tend to think of menstruation or the bleeding time in our cycle as the main event, mostly because it's the only obvious sign that we can observe without trying too hard. It just happens whenever it happens, whether we're expecting it or not, and with that we can confirm the end of one cycle and the beginning of the next. Simple enough, right? But let's take that a bit farther and begin to notice our cervical mucus or cervical fluid. A lot of people call this discharge, and it's that white, sticky, or mucusy stuff that you see on your underwear at some point in your cycle. Noticing it in your underwear can be one indication, but feeling for the sensation when you're wiping after going to the bathroom is how you really get down to the nitty-gritty of your cervical fluid or cervical mucus. Cervical fluid is exactly what it sounds like. Fluid coming out of the vagina that is secreted from the cervix. This only happens around your fertile window, which is about five to seven days. That's right. You're only fertile within that window, which means you can only conceive for about six days out of the entire cycle. Let that sink in for a second. We are taught as girls that if you have sex, you will get pregnant. Period. End of story. We were not taught about our bodies properly, and we were definitely not taught how to prevent pregnancy on our own naturally. We are taught that we can get pregnant on any day of our cycle, and thus, hormonal birth control is born. Hormonal birth control was created in 1960 and was first tested on a group of Puerto Rican women, which caused a load of side effects and infertility. So it was assumed to work quite well for the purpose of stopping ovulation. The first trials of the pill on American women showed that a lot of women began to believe they were pregnant because they were not bleeding every month. This caused a lot of stress frustration, and disappointment in women who wished to be pregnant and in women who did not wish to be pregnant. Not too long after, the quote-unquote sugar pills that are taken at the end of the pill pack were introduced so women would believe they were having a menstrual period, but it was not a true bleed. This was, however, enough to suffice for the women, and the movement of birth control began. While I do love the idea of women taking control of their fertility and whether or not they want to have children, 
Recent research over the last decade or so shows what actually happens in the body while taking birth control, and this research has shown us that not only does it shut down ovulation in the body, but it actually puts your body into an early-onset menopausal state. A lot of people like to believe that it tricks your body into thinking that it's pregnant, but your body is a lot smarter than that. The hormonal contraceptives being used by the majority of women these days actually shuts down ovulation by shutting off the very necessary conversation between your brain and your ovaries that says it's time to release an egg. Because this communication is shut down and your ovaries are not developing follicles for the release of an egg, the uterine lining is not proliferating and so there is nothing to be shed through menstruation. The bleed that you're having while on hormonal contraceptives is called a withdrawal bleed, which refers to the withdrawal of hormones in the pill and in your body. When taking hormonal contraceptives, we are shutting down a major function in our body, and with that, we are deteriorating our own health with each passing anovulatory cycle. Because again, ovulation is not just for making babies. Each ovulation is a deposit in your bank of life and affects your immune system, your brain health, your breast health, your heart health, your bone density, and thyroid function. And our menstrual cycle is our fifth vital sign, which we are completely shutting off. I'm not here to tell you that hormonal contraceptives are wrong for you because I'm not in your body but I do want you to be aware of the way that they work and function in your body so you can make an informed choice about whether or not that sounds like the option for you. It seems like any period issue you go to the doctor with these days, they just want to throw birth control at you and call it a day, like it's going to resolve all your period problems. But this is unfortunately a band-aid strategy and does not actually get to the root cause of the issues you may be experiencing, such as acne, cramps, bloating, PMS, mood swings, heavy periods, PCOS, irregular cycles, and so much more. As I stated earlier in the episode, I was on birth control for about five years. I was actually on about seven different types of birth control before finding one that I thought was working well with my body or at least better than the others had. With some, I felt like I was pregnant. With others, my periods got worse. Another one, my periods lightened up, but my cramps got worse, and then I felt sick every period. The cramps got so bad one day that I literally couldn't get out of bed the entire day and ended up going to the OBGYN, getting an intrauterine ultrasound, only to find out that I had cysts on my ovaries. And what did they do for that? They changed my pill again. I finally got off of birth control between 19 and 20 because I no longer had insurance to cover the cost of my birth control and I simply couldn't afford it. It was really a blessing in disguise. But I went from having light three-day periods, thinking I was God's favorite, back to cramps and pain and irregular cycles and disregarding my bleed at every turn. When I came across In the Flow in 2020 and started to read it, I really resonated with the information that was shared about PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. 
but I didn't think too hard on it or self-diagnose myself. However, in 2021, my fatigue and irritability was through the roof. I felt a residual amount of emotional overwhelm, and I just knew that something was off with my body. I went to see an endocrinologist and got my hormones tested and found out that I did, in fact, have PCOS, which explained so much, not only for me, but also for the women in my family. With this diagnosis, I was pulled into the office of an old, decrepit, white man who spoke with me for no more than five minutes, gave me a prescription for birth control, and sent me along my way. Knowing what I know about the cycle as a whole, diet and exercise for the cycle, and especially what I knew about birth control, I obviously refused the prescription and began officially charting my cycle with fertility awareness, and I haven't looked back. Slow but steady wins the race, so I'm working on being more compassionate with myself in regards to food, rest, and exercise throughout the cycle, and working in what I can to help my body function optimally. It's a process, it's been a long journey, and I'm still in the thick of it. But having the information and knowing what to do makes all the difference. Even if I'm not as consistent as I want to be, I understand that I'm constantly fluctuating with the energy and hormone levels in my body throughout an entire cycle. I honor the fact that I'm not the same every day, and I accept that I'm still making choices that may not be in my best interest, but I am informed about these choices that I'm making. I was informed about the hormonal birth control pill and the effects it can have on my body and the fact that it would not resolve the PCOS but just put a band-aid over the symptoms. So I chose not to go with that option. Because no matter what a doctor may throw at me, the choice is still mine to make. Knowing all of your options and knowing that you have a choice in what option is right for your unique body can help you to get to know your body on a deeply empowering level, which opens you up to the full potential of your power. Hormonal contraceptives can come in many forms. The pill that we are all pretty familiar with, the Mirena, the IUD, the Nexplanon pill that goes in your arm, and or the patch. All of these forms of contraception release synthetic hormones into your body, which actually replace your naturally occurring hormones. So not only is it shutting off a very important and necessary conversation between your brain and your ovaries, but it's completely replacing your naturally occurring hormones with synthetic ones, which, as we learned earlier in the episode, can severely mess up and deteriorate your health and fertility. Plus, it only actually has a 91% efficacy rate for preventing pregnancy and does not prevent against STDs or STIs. It can take anywhere from a couple of months to a couple of years to begin having somewhat regular cycles again after stopping hormonal contraception and even longer for fertility to restore itself if you're planning on having children. Because remember, Ovulation was completely shut off for however long you were using this form of birth control. 
I've been using the terms contraception and birth control interchangeably because a lot of women do begin taking it to avoid pregnancy, but there's also a huge majority of women who were put on it or requested it due to period problems that were completely outside of preventing pregnancy. Because we're being thrown a pill to take and not actually understanding the root cause to our hormone imbalance, we think that how we feel on the pill is equal or better than how we feel when we're not on the pill, and that couldn't be farther from the truth. There was a research study called the sweaty t-shirt theory, where women on contraceptives and women not on contraceptives sniffed the sweaty t-shirts of men to choose which smell is most attractive to them. During this study, scientists actually found that women on the pill chose the pheromones of men whose immune systems were similar to theirs, which means if they eventually wanted to have a baby with this person, the immune system of that baby would not be as strong as it could be. And the opposite for women not on contraceptives. These women chose men whose immune systems were not similar to theirs. Which means if they decided to have a baby, the baby's immune system would be strong. So not only does hormonal contraception affect the health of our entire body, shut off ovulation, and replace our hormones with synthetic ones, but it also affects the way in which we choose a partner and thus affecting the health and vitality of our future children if we choose to have them. Have you ever heard or had the experience of being with someone while you're on birth control and then getting off of birth control to have a baby or just getting off of it in general and all of a sudden you hated almost everything about your partner? The way they talk, the way they smell, the way they act, the way they chew their food. I have definitely experienced this. And so the shock that ran through my body when I heard this information was confirmation of truth and relief ringing through my body. I'm so grateful to have gotten off the pill when I did and to not still be in that relationship where I would have surely been living and experiencing a much different version of myself and my life in a very negative way. I know, I know. It seems like that was a lot of negatives regarding the hormonal contraceptive pill, but honestly, that's nowhere close to the actual range of side effects and downsides. The warnings and side effects page alone can be used as a blanket. Seriously, look it up. I share all of this again, not to tell you what to do with your body, but to open up the conversation of all the available options and the side effects, downsides, benefits, and long-term effects of all of these options. Now, let's talk non-hormonal options. These are measures that you can take to prevent pregnancy without the use of hormonal contraceptives and without shutting down the natural function of hormones and health in the body. First up, we have barrier methods. These include things like condoms, both male and female, spermicides, cervical caps, diaphragms, the sponge, and or a prescription vaginal spermicide gel. Male condoms are about 85% effective with typical use and 99% effective with perfect use. 
and prevent against STDs and STIs. Female condoms usually cost about twice as much as male condoms and are only about 79% effective with typical use. So other measures should be taken to ensure that pregnancy is prevented. Some people may be allergic to latex condoms and should opt for another type of condom. Spermicides are an effective tool to use in conjunct with other barrier methods, as they have a failure rate of about 21% when used alone. Some side effects could be irritation of the vagina or allergic reactions. The cervical cap is a small silicone cup that's inserted into the vagina and fitting over the cervix to prevent sperm from entering. Similar to the diaphragm, but smaller. However, it has a failure rate of about 14% in women who have never given birth and 29% for those who had a vaginal delivery. This option should be used in conjunct with spermicide and both the cervical and the diaphragm, the cervical cap and the diaphragm should be left in the vagina for six hours after sperm has entered the vagina, cannot be used during your period and must be fitted by a doctor. The diaphragm works the same as the cervical cap by inserting a small silicone cup in the vagina and covering the cervix and should be used in conjunct with spermicide. This method has a 94% efficacy rate if used correctly every time and an 88% efficacy rate with typical use. The sponge is made of plastic foam and contains spermicide. It's inserted into the vagina before sex and prevents pregnancy by covering the cervix so sperm can't enter and has an added layer of protection with spermicide. In people who have never been pregnant, the failure rate is about 9% with perfect use and 12% with typical use. And for those who have been pregnant before, it's a 24% rate with perfect use and 20% with typical use. This option carries an increased risk for yeast infections and toxic shock syndrome and should not be left in the body for more than 30 hours. Vaginal dryness and allergic reactions are also possible side effects. And lastly, in the barrier methods section, we have Fexi or the prescription vaginal spermicide gel. It's effective for one hour and should be inserted before sex as it does not work after sperm have entered the vagina. This option works by lowering the pH level in the vagina, making it harder for sperm to move, and decreasing the chance of sperm meeting egg. With perfect use, it's a 93% effective rate and 86% with typical use. Some side effects for this method include bacterial vaginosis, vaginal burning, itching, and irritation, yeast infections, UTIs, vaginal discharge, and or an allergic reaction. And those are just the barrier methods. If you're looking for a more long-term method, there's also the copper IUD or the intrauterine device or the Paragard. According to Planned Parenthood, this method has a very low failure rate at only 0.1% if inserted within five days of unprotected sperm in vagina sex. This is a hormone-free option and can prevent pregnancy for up to 12 years. It takes a doctor only a few minutes to insert the device into the uterus, and once it's in place, the copper IUD causes an inflammatory reaction inside the uterus that prevents sperm from reaching the egg. This is a good option for people who don't want to worry about daily, weekly, or monthly birth control reminders, or just don't want to use hormonal birth control. 
The method is completely reversible and can be removed at any time by your doctor. This method does not prevent against STDs, can be painful getting inserted and removed, and side effects include cramping, heavy periods, spotting between periods, and in rare cases, copper toxicity. I've also recently seen warnings about the device, stating that there have been lawsuits for device migration in the body, meaning that it moves around. The device breaks inside of the body, um, and also the device breaking with removal. So look into that more on your own and do your own research on all of these methods to ensure that you're choosing the best option for your body. There are also other options such as sterilization, getting your tubes tied or burned, and or your partner getting a vasectomy. You can even use the withdraw or pull out method, which is 96% effective with perfect use, but only 78% effective with typical use. Precum is actually the male body's way of cleansing the penis hole of pee and alkalizing the hole for optimal sperm mobility. That's not to say that there's not some sperm floating around in there that can't get you pregnant. So use caution with this method and be sure to have a conversation with your partner about using this method as birth control to ensure that you are both on the same page about the effectiveness and the measures you would like to take to prevent or achieve pregnancy. The star of the show and the final method of preventing pregnancy that I'm going to share with you today and that I absolutely swear by is the fertility awareness method. A lot of people compare this method to the calendar or the rhythm method where you base your next period off of your last period with really no regard for what's going on in between. The rhythm method or the calendar method usually refers to ovulation on day 14 of the cycle, but not everyone ovulates on day 14 and the majority of women don't even ovulate at the same time each cycle. So when we think we may be having a late period, we may have simply ovulated later in our cycle, which causes us to bleed later than usual, but we wouldn't know that unless we were actually charting our cycle. Women have used the rhythm method for decades and consistently seem to get pregnant when that's not their goal. Go figure. This is also the method that any period tracking app that predicts your ovulation or period uses. So be mindful of that when using an app like this. There are some apps where you can opt for it to not predict your cycles, but the ones that I recommend are for charting like Read Your Body. This can help you get more in tune with your body throughout the cycle to really understand where you are in regards to the phases and allow you the opportunity to learn your body's unique and natural fertile and non-fertile signs. With the fertility awareness method, you're actually able to pinpoint the roundabout time of when you ovulate by tracking your BBT or basal body temperature, your cervical mucus and or LH testing and cervical position. A lot of people tend to think that paying attention to when you ovulate is only beneficial for when you want to have babies, but it's so much more than that and should be practiced long before wanting to achieve or prevent pregnancy, but it can be started at any stage of life. This method gives you a health record of yourself and shows you patterns throughout your cycle with your physical and emotional symptoms, as well as the biomarkers that you're observing. So if we're only fertile for about six days out of the cycle and we're not using the rhythm method to predict our next period based off of our last one, how can these biomarkers help us know if and when we're ovulating? 
Great question. So the egg that's released for ovulation is only viable for 24 hours. And we are only fertile for about six days out of our entire cycle. When that fertile window begins, you will, begin, you will feel a shift in your cervical mucus. This could be right after you finish bleeding that you begin to feel this moist mucus sensation. But it could also be a few days after your period has ended. Some women feel a dry sensation when wiping for a few days after their period, but some women immediately feel moist. This type of mucus is actually there to filter malformed or abnormal sperm out of the vagina so those, those sperm don't enter the cervix for possible fertilization. What we're really looking for is a slippery sensation and for the mucus to have a little stretch to it, usually an egg white consistency. This is the most fertile type of mucus. This is the mucus that helps sperm move quickly and easily through the vagina to the cervix, into the uterus, and to the fallopian tubes where sperm may or may not meet egg. Once you feel that shift to dry mucus or moist mucus again after that slippery sensation, your luteal phase has begun. You cannot predict ovulation. You can only confirm once it has happened. When you feel that dry sensation at any point in your cycle, you can confirm that you are not fertile. And anytime that you feel either types of mucus, whether it be moist or slippery, assume that you are fertile and act accordingly. Simple enough, right? An added bonus is taking your basal body temperature. For me, this is the surefire way to confirm ovulation after it's happened. With your basal body temperature, you're taking your temperature as soon as you wake up at the same time every morning before getting out of bed to get your body's resting temperature. When you do this every day throughout your cycle, you'll begin to see a pattern and shifts in your temperature. When you ovulate, your temp is usually at its lowest, and after ovulation, your temp will rise and stay high until it's time for your bleed. 18 high temperatures means a possible pregnancy, and anything after 18 that ends in a period could be a possible miscarriage. Yes, you can tell all of this just from your body's own biomarkers. I struggled taking my temperature with a thermometer when I first started charting, so I stuck with just mucus observations for about six months. In January, I purchased my temp drop, and it's been the best investment for my charting journey. Instead of staying in bed for my temp in the morning, worrying about if I'm moving too much or if it will be correct, temp drop takes your temperature throughout the night and uses your body's average resting temperature. Temp drop is a great option for people who like to sleep in, like me, <laughs> because you don't have to worry about taking your temperature at the same time every morning. It's also a great option for breastfeeding and new mothers for that same reason, but also because it's really important to get about three hours of consistent sleep to get a good average resting temperature, which new mothers are definitely not getting that much sleep. So this is a great option for them to begin charting or to start up their charting again. And it's also just a really great option for anyone who's looking to learn their body's fertile signs and achieve or prevent pregnancy. And I'll post my discount link in the show notes for 10% off of your temp drop if you're interested in trying it. No, this is not an ad, even though it definitely should be. 
I literally just love my temp drop and they don't sell your data. I now have about six cycles worth of data with mucus and temperatures. It's helped me understand my cycle so much better, understand where I'm at in my cycle, and listen to what my body is trying to communicate with me. LH testing works by detecting luteinizing hormone in your body to predict ovulation because luteinizing hormone peaks about 24 to 36 hours before ovulation. Saying predicting it is like kind of not really what it is because again, ovulation cannot be predicted, only confirmed. But LH test strips give you a good range of expecting it to happen within that next one to three days after that positive surge. You use LH test strips by peeing in a cup, sticking the end of your stick in that cup, and then reading for a negative or positive test to see when your unique LH surge is. This biomarker works best in conjunct with temperature and mucus. Another way to check your body's individual biomarkers is by checking your cervical position. This can be done by sticking one or two clean fingers inside of your vagina and feeling for your cervix. Is it high? Is it low? Is it soft or firm? When it's firm, it feels like the tip of your nose. And when it's soft, it feels like your lips. How cool is that? The cervix can shift position throughout your cycle, going higher when you're ovulating so the sperm can get to where they're going quicker, and lower when you're not fertile. Your uterus actually moves around in your body too. I bet you didn't know that. It shifts and tilts in conjunct with your cycle, which explains the movement of the cervix because they are connected. The more you know, right? Speaking of... I know a lot of us have heard that women have all the eggs we're ever going to have at birth, but I'm sure that some of you have not heard that we actually have all of our eggs while we are inside of our mother's womb, which means that our mother had all of her eggs inside of her mother's womb, which means that we were actually inside of our grandmother's womb. We were inside of our grandmother's womb, which means that we share a unique bond with our maternal line. We are so connected to our maternal line as women, and it's beautiful. I love sharing this information about our bodies and the connections that they share with us and show us about ourselves and our ancestry. So I just wanted to like throw that in there because that's always a, a fun fact. So there are a lot of different types of fertility awareness methods. There's the FEM method, which is the method that I'm teaching. Um, there's the Justice method, the Billings method, the Symptothermal method, just to name a few. But they all have the same goal. Learn your body's fertile signs to know when you can and cannot get pregnant naturally and without suppressing the natural, normal, and necessary function and health in our body. It can take about six cycles to really get the hang of charting and to understand your charts on a deeper level before trying to use this as a form of natural, non-hormonal birth control. I've been self-teaching myself for about a year now through books and courses of study, and I'm certifying in becoming a fertility awareness educator. 
It's really best to learn with an instructor to get feedback on your charts and to help you understand what you're looking at until you get the hang of charting. This will end up being a personal health record that you can have on yourself to understand your unique body. This can also be shared with your doctors to help get to the root cause of any issues that you may be experiencing and eventually be used to help you achieve or prevent pregnancy naturally and with a 98% efficacy rate. None of these methods are going to be the absolute best for everyone at every stage of life. But again, this was for informational purposes and for the purpose of informed consent and informed choice. Continue to do your own research and let me know what you thought about this episode. I'm so happy that you're here and I'm so grateful to be sharing this information with you. I hope this has been helpful and informational and I would love to hear from you in a review or you can email me at womb.witch777 at gmail.com. I'll be adding some links to books and the discount link to purchase Temp Drop for 10% off in the show notes. Thank you for tuning into the podcast today. Until next time, stay curious and stay open to receiving the information that's right for you.